Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my great co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, and George Lugo, famous psychic medium, and Miss PK is a numerologist, and we have all three of us actually been talking about these fast radio bursts that have been reported in the news. And, PK, you've looked at the numbers. George, you've focused your abilities on what's going on. Are they trying to send us a message? We're going to start there. So, PK, what do the numbers say about this? Well, predominantly the numbers revolve around the number seven, which is about secretive situations and information being made known. And it it's a matter where I try to look at it, there comes about, it ends up showing that the sevens are predominant throughout looking at the number, uh, what I'm looking at, the FRB, and then the numbers that follow. It becomes a seven or a nine. Majority are sevens, which, as I say, revolves around secrets. The bursts every four days, uh, a 12-day lapse in between, ends up being another seven. So everything is about seven. It's all about, it's like drawing, seven is information as well as secrets. So all types of information is being shown to us. The hard part is for us getting to figure out exactly what the secret is. And that's what a lot of people are working on or working towards. The uh, the discovery of this was in uh, 2007, which was a nine-year ending old issues from the past. So the doors are opening up in many different directions, but it keeps revolving back around the numbers 7 and 9 predominantly. So I find it very interesting to find that the secrets, that certainly it's what's taking place, and then the time frequency between the flash and the stop is, again, we've got that 7 pattern. Very interesting to see how this works out. So seven is a number of secrets. It's a number of information. Is it also a number of the spirit? Yeah, it's I spirituality. So spirituality. Okay. Yeah, it's spiritual secrets. That's for sure. And all things being made known. Uh, Seven deals with the study of learning. It's 
in all things that pull all of this together comes out of the the seven that we're when we're looking at the galaxy SDSS and the numbers that follow again we're looking at a seven and the numbers that follow break down at four in the interim and a seven at the end four deals with the details work related issues when we bring them together again we end up with our sevens again That's so interesting. it's quite interesting to find out that the pattern that they're trying I feel trying to show us deals with the fact of we need to learn what they're looking at or how they're seeing it. Right now, we can't put a shall we say can't put a pin in this dial. Right now, it looks it's coming from so many different directions, but it, it, regardless of which way we go, it still goes back to information being made known and the idea of uh, things that deal with the spiritual side. Too much of it, it keeps going back to as I say, it goes back to spirituality. Numbers to be learned, also the teaching. It repeats every 16 days. That's the seven. It's about information is being made known. We just don't know how to break it down yet. That's fascinating. Well, great work, PK. Thank you for taking a look at that. And, George, what did you sense from this? Yeah, I sense that it's a language that we're going to learn. In fact, we already are learning it. Um, I have um, a few people that I know that work with this kind of stuff and they're sending this signal. It's like an alphabet. It's also like a blueprint uh, of things that we will, we are uncovering now. So we're not too much in the dark. There's certain agencies that are studying this and writing this all down and we're learning about what's going to happen in the future with these um, intelligent beings that are sending us this repeated signal over and over and over. It's going to change. You're going to see a change in the signal. Um, I'd give it another probably, well, I don't know, I think it's changing already, but I think in another year you're going to see a really big difference in the change of that signal, and we'll get it. We'll decipher it and and use it um, to um, bridge this gap that we have right now. But right now it's all about, you know, all these UFOs that are showing up and all kind of breaking this in, so to speak. But the signal is going to reveal everything. Uh, Two and a half. Huh? Two and a half years is what I'm getting. Yeah, uh, something inf- like that, you know. Yeah, information is going to be this. known, more information this coming year. And right, then absolutely. It will be pushed out, and then within two years of that, we will get the answers we need, or shall we say the uh, index of what they're going to be teaching us. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, and some of our um, – um, I mean, I hate to say too much because I don't want to get myself in trouble, but the uh, astronauts are learning this language. You know, some of our astronauts are learning this whole new way of uh, communicating, and you're going to see that come out too. It's being done already, but you're going to see a lot more of it once they get people comfortable with it. That's going to take some time. Anyway, that's pretty much it. Wow, that's pretty simple, great actually. <laughs> well, you guys are pretty pretty on the leading edge, I'd have to say, because that's really great information. Both of you did a great job. Thank you for taking a look at that and coming up with this. It makes sense to me, and I I do agree with both of you. I think that things are going to be coming out. So that's terrific. Well, I want to suggest to everybody, if you want a numerology reading for yourself, a friend or a loved one, you should go to patriciakirkman.com, or you can find PK on our website, supernaturalgirls, with a Z, dot com, and you can set that up with PK. 
And for George, you can find George for a psychic mediumship reading at crystalgatereadings.com. Again, that is crystalgatereadings.com. And if you want to talk to me, I am to be found at supernaturalgirls.com. Also, you can send me an email if you'd like a soul realignment reading, if you would like dream analysis, or just plain life coaching. So be sure to reach out to all of us. We've got some great tools to offer you and some beautiful candles on sale made by Katrina Raspold, the Bruja from California, and they are some kind of powerful. So take a look at those, and any questions for any of us, feel free to reach out anytime. We'd love to hear from you. And tonight we have a great guest. We're so honored to have him with us, and what a book he has written called Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. His name is Bruce Cornett, and he received his bachelor's degree in 1970 in biology from the University of Connecticut, a master's degree in 72 in paleobotany from that same university, and graduated from Penn State with a Ph.D. in geology and paleonology, if I'm pronouncing that right, the study of fossil spores and pollens used to age-date rocks. Between 1988 and 93, he held a research position at Lamont Dougherty Earth Observatory, part of Columbia University, and was the well site geologist for the Newark Basin Coring Project in New Jersey. Now, he has provided detailed analyses of those cores with Olson and Kent and documented a 28-million-year period of Earth's climate, which was forced by the precession of the equinox, enabling pre- precision dating down to the, newest, the nearest excuse me, 10,000 years, something that has never before been possible. Now, there are so many things interesting about Bruce Cornett, and we're going to find out more. However, he's talking to us tonight about the UFOs. That are, and I'll tell this again. It's highly documented in this book that you have to get. It's just so fascinating. We're also going to be talking about one of our favorite subjects, portals. So let's bring him on the show. Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Patricia. Thank you. Um, well, it's, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Just uh, fire away. Uh, ask me questions, and I'll try to give you the best answers I can. Okay. Well, you were brought into this whole phenomenon by Bud Hopkins, right? That's what piqued your interest? Well, his book, uh, Intruders, that's what yes. got me started on this. I saw the miniseries on television, and as a scientist, I was uh, surprised that this subject got uh, primetime television time, and um, I went to the bookstore to get uh, a copy of his book uh, with uh, Dr. John Mack, and the book manager uh, suggested that I also purchase another book called Silent Invasion by Ellen Crystal, and I purchased that book not knowing why he had suggested I purchase it, but as I started to read it, I was really shocked to find out that it was about the area I lived in and all of the, um, the sightings that Ellen had had around uh, Middletown, New York, near Pine Bush, New York. And I realized uh, that uh, uh, now I had an opportunity uh, to contact her and uh, ask her to take me out into the field, which she did. And on the very first night 
she took me out with several other sky watchers. Uh, I saw things that I could not explain, Pat. This, this was just extraordinary stuff of these craft coming out of the ground, going into the ground, flying around us, flying over us. And yet this was not anywhere near a, a major airport. And so uh, wh- why, are, uh, the, why is not the government more interested in this? You know, I mean, uh, they are clearly violating our, uh, our airspace and uh, doing things that are totally unconventional. I mean, um, they're not conventional aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, they can stop and hover and do right-angle turns and uh, uh, do a lot of things. And uh, Ellen uh, talks about how she, when she got involved in this uh, field, this area, uh, the craft would start following her around. And when I went out with her, uh, they would come to us and start putting on performances. And because we were using uh, cameras to document this uh, and uh, video cameras and and SLRs, uh, they would create these sky glyphs in the night sky. And with a series of time exposures, I was able to uh, document what the the type of shapes and symbols that they were creating um, for us and putting them on my uh, photographic canvas. Why is this important? Because nobody else has had this type of uh, contact uh, happen where you go out into the field and they come to you and they put on performances and, and uh, we captured a tremendous amount of data. Oh, I spent 11 years working on this. Um, one of the things that Ellen said in her book is that she felt that there was an underground alien base and um, I was seeing these craft diving down into the trees, into farm fields and things like that, and disappearing. And they were clearly not landing on any, any uh, uh, landing strip. And then they would also come out of the ground as well. And I uh, was uh, working at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory at the time, and uh, I had access to a proton magnetometer, a precession proton magnetometer, which is uh, used by geologists to uh, determine the Earth's magnetic field in any given area. And hmm. I figured that if there was anomalous signals or act, uh, electromagnetic activity going on below ground, that my magnetometer would detect it, and it did. I did a 24-square-mile magnetic survey with 1,800 stations. It took me three years to complete, and the results were out, you know, just mind-blowing <clears throat> all sorts of activity especially around the center of what i call the hot spot because that's where we, i documented time and time again the <clears throat> these craft coming out of the ground and going into the ground and uh when i went over it with my magnetometer the um, electromagnetic spectrum just went crazy and uh so that there was something below ground that was very hot in the electromagnetic spectrum, indicating that it's artificial. And right. but so why why weren't the military uh, interested in this? It turns out that they are extremely interested in this, and they've let me just go almost carte blanche anywhere in the area, and 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 even the police would not stop me. to cutting across people's property and taking measurements, and I realized that uh, they wanted this information. 
and I was the only person that um, could ca- capture this information. If they sent any government employees in there, uh, they would probably have been stopped by somebody. And uh, the magnetic survey I did showed a very close correlation between uh, where the craft were coming out of the ground and disappearing into the ground with granitic masses just below the ground that showed up on the, um, on the uh, magnetic map. And these represented islands that uh, existed over 400 million years ago in a shallow sea in the area. And uh, the, all these islands are, are surrounded by black shale and black siltstone. And uh, what is interesting is that I found uh, on several of them signals coming out of the ground and being fired into space. And on one in particular, wow. I, I mapped it very carefully. And this was underneath a Jewish cemetery along Route 52. And um, I found these magnetic beams coming out of the ground that would be uh, detectable every time the constellation Booties was overhead. And uh, so uh, not uh, suspecting that there was something, some sort of, a, you know, an artificial uh, uh, electromagnetic uh, device below ground, I began suspecting that what I was dealing with was a huge alien uh, probe that had landed on Earth on this island 400 million years ago. Then the island sank. The sea came in and, and covered it over with mud and more rock on top. And recently, uh, the uh, area has uh, been uplifted geologically recently. And uh, the when the um, History Channel came in and did a survey of this area with a, uh, a ground-penetrating radar, we actually cut across a corner of it, and you could see uh, a huge triangular craft that goes down more than 20 feet, in, uh, below, and it's 9 feet below the surface, and it is uh, sending signals out into, the gra- out into space, and it's still active. Uh, Geiger counter shows that it's uh, nuclear-powered, and it's been on Earth for that long. So E.T. has That's known amazing. about Earth for, for you know, <clears throat> virtually all, all, for the entire time that complex life has been on Earth, E.T. has known about us. Amazing. This is in, this, incredible. Yeah, it's incredible, Bruce. And, and, again, the amount of time you've spent researching this and, and reporting on your findings is is just spectacular, and you've provided such a wealth of information in your book. Again, the name of it is Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. Go get the book, guys. You just won't believe the amount of information that's here that's scientifically backed up. So, Bruce, here you are. You're, you're now involved full-blown with the UFO stuff. And you're able to document these incredible anomalies. What's the connection between these magnetic anomalies and UFOs? Well, basically, um, that they have uh, used electromagnetic devices below ground, and uh, they uh, their ships are electromagnetic and and anti gravity. And the one thing I discovered when when I documented all of this is that. Uh, many of them that are angular in shape, they come in the form of triangles and diamond shapes, uh, or even sometimes cigar shapes, that they are mm. all trying to mimic conventional aircraft in, in navigation lights at night and uh, with the sounds. Because uh, we have the Stewart Air Force and Army Base just across the valley, 
and you have all of these military flights coming in and out, and that's also an international airport, and we have commercial flights coming in and out, and we have an uh, Orange County Airport nearby, and you have small private planes flying over the area, and you have the whole valley populated uh, in di- by many little towns all, all across Walker River Valley, from right. you know, Pine Bush to Walden to Wallkill to Montgomery to Middletown, et cetera. And um, uh, the activity of these craft is, is quite significant. I mean, they're coming out at night. They're mostly skit stealth black. Uh, some of them are, are white, perfectly white, and, and some of them mimic our conventional aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft. So they try to blend in with the, uh, the, the commercial and military aircraft by using uh, strobes on them that are positioned uh, in such a way to mimic the uh, navigation lights and the headlights of commercial aircraft. And I've discovered that quite uh, uh, early on, and Ellen Crystal believed that also. She reports that in her book, that uh, she's seen things that look like a 747 landing in a farm field. And, and of course, that couldn't be one of ours. Because uh, 747s don't land in farm fields, and uh, so, uh, uh, and one of the things I discovered is that every time they would put on a performance, they would light up their their paired, uh headlights, get our attention, and then they would climb up from behind uh, a tree rose in a in a distant field, and they would arc over us and then dive behind us into the forest or fields behind us. And this happened again and again. And I show many of those uh, uh, the, the time exposures that I captured of, of those uh, performances. And when they would fly over us, they would produce sounds that to the human ear sounded like um, a, a, a turbofan jet engine. But, they, but there was something very wrong about the sound. And through spectrographic uh, analysis, I was able to determine that they were artificial and that they reversed the, uh, the normal physics of Doppler. So uh, do you know what Doppler is? Yes. And uh, so as, as a, a, a conventional aircraft approaches you, you, the frequency of the sound of the jet engines increases. And then as the jet moves away or airplane moves away, the sound frequency decreases. Invariably, all of these craft, when they came at us and flew over us, the frequency of the sound decreased until it was the lowest uh, frequency when it was right over us. And then as they flew away, it increased. Not only that, but the, the, uh, the spectrograms showed no white noise. All jet engines and, and, and turbofan <laughs> engines produce white noise, and there was none in these spectrograms. And the sounds were divided into 10 to 12 individual frequencies that paralleled one another. Uh, and, and I realized that this was sound was being made by a, what we would call an uh, electronic synthesizer, a music synthesizer. And mm-hmm. um, the, the, uh, so it was clearly um, uh, artificial, but uh, Dr. Jack Sarfati out in California has been doing a lot of theorizing on on the nature of the uh, uh, metaphysical hulls of these craft based on information that has been released by the government. And it turns out 
that in a gravity field, the Doppler effect is reversed. It's reverse Doppler. And what uh, I've captured on my uh, audio uh, records is uh, the smoking gun for anti-gravity craft. In other words, you can distinguish the, if these craft produce sounds, you can distinguish the sound from that of a normal Doppler and uh, recognize that this is not one of ours. My God, no wonder they let you continue your research because you really know what you're talking about. So you must have contributed a lot, knowingly or unknowingly, to the military's interest in this. Right. I had hundreds of websites I published in three different servers in two different countries, and you can go uh, find them just by uh, linking on to one of my websites, and I'll uh, link other websites. And In fact, the book I wrote has uh, links all the way through it. And there is at the very at the end of chapter one, I put a link for appendix one. And if you go to um, that website, you will get a a sequential chronological list of all the sightings, numbered, dated, uh, with uh, explanation of what was seen and who witnessed it, and then the photographs that were taken. And so you, I have over 137. Uh, close encounters uh, accumulated or recorded <coughs> over the, of that 11-year period. Phenomenal. And, uh, so there's uh, there are all types of craft that would come out of the ground. Now we're hearing from you know the uh, to the Stars Academy and from the Navy about these Tic Tac craft that look like you know uh, uh, a, a, a cylinder, uh, and those were there too in Pie Bush. As well, we saw them putting on all sorts of performances. So this is, and the fascinating thing is that um, I would I had a tracking mechanism on my uh, web pages back in the late 90s, and I uh, uh, found many uh, government agencies uh, downloading my web pages constantly. <laughs> wow! No surprise there, right? No surprise, right. And they get oh it for free, God. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they sure did. They should have paid you for everything you did. But, my goodness, you have such a wealth of knowledge, and, again, all backed up by, by research in science. And I think you're one of the very few people we've had on the show that has this level of expertise and has been able to produce this level of research. It's quite remarkable what you've done, Bruce. Very but thorough. Go, well, thank yeah. you, Bob. Let me go back and to you what you can talk about. For those who don't want to spend the the $25 uh, to get a paper copy of my book. They can buy a Kindle electronic version and read it online. And and I think you can download them onto your computer and read them there. And the Kindle version is all all the pictures are in color. The disadvantage of the the paper copy is that all the pictures are in black and white. So, um, and if you go to the Appendix 1 online, uh, all the pictures are in color. Except for those that were taken in black and white. So phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's an enormous amount of information. But let me go back to what you were talking about with the rock, because you mentioned in the book granite, and you also mentioned Precambrian rock. And you know, we've we've heard a lot about granite boulder fields where people go missing and they're never seen again. 
Now, it seems like there's a connection here. What can you tell us about granite and the Precambrian rock you mentioned in the book? Well, one of the things that about granite is that it, it is interlocking crystals of different types that is very hard. Granite, in fact, it's what uh, the Egyptians made many of uh, their, their monuments out of because it is so resistant to erosion and, and very durable. And um, in the Walkill River Valley, these granite masses that uh, were islands 400 million years ago, they uh, would provide a, a, uh, a material in which they could have cavities, create cavities for their underground bases. Now, the black shale that surrounds these islands is very weak and, and, un and unstable, and it, you, you couldn't build an underground base in, in those black shales because of the, the, the potential for co collapse and cave-ins. But in the granite, you could get this uh, very solid material uh, that, uh, where you could have an underground base. Now, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind uh, as a geologist. Is, but I've also heard that there's this tendency for portals to open up in, in the granite masses. And wow. one could easily connect the dots, say, well, why is the portal there? It's because it is uh, opening into something that's in that granite, right? An opening yeah. or a place inside the granite. And <clears throat> one of the things that Ellen Crystal describes in her book is that uh, – she was in a field at one time, and uh, suddenly this huge opening occurred, a portal occurred right in front of her in the ground where the ground opened up, and uh, she felt hot air coming out uh, from, the, from below ground. And she w went over to it and, and was looking at it, and suddenly it closed. When whoever had opened that portal realized that she was standing there um, and watching them, and... Uh, I mean, when I first went out and started my uh, uh, magnetic survey, I had this, uh, this computer uh, in a box hanging from my chest with all the controls and LEDs to display on top. And then a cable came from uh, that box to a, uh, a, a, what looked like a coffee can where the, um, the sensor was for uh, determining the magnetic field, and that, that was on the end of a long pole. Now, you can just sort of imagine me walking along streets with this long pole and with these uh, <clears throat> coffee cans sticking on e either end. And, and as people drove by, they would slow down and they'd look at me and wonder, what in the world is he doing? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, well I, 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 was, I was not – they were not the only ones who noticed me there. I found out quite early when I started my research – uh, when I went out in, in, with Pat, uh, my late ex-wife, uh, uh, she went with me and we walked up and down uh, Route 52 near the Jewish Cemetery where this underground uh, alien probe is, is positioned. And everywhere I walked um, and took readings, I would pace off 10 paces and then take a reading, another 10 paces and take a reading, and I would mark this on a map. Uh, as I was going along, and I'll record the re the readings that I would have. Every reading showed these enormous, ten to twelve thousand gamma spikes, um, e electromagnetic spikes, <clears throat> and um, uh, it was quite clear that I could not 
take any uh, uh, reliable measurements. I thought the instrument uh, was malfunctioning. I took it back to the lab, had them check it out. They said it worked fine. So the next, a couple days later, I went back out in the field to, to see if those spikes were still occurring. And the only place they were occurring was right where that, uh, that those magnetic beams were coming out of this uh, entombed uh, alien probe. Everywhere else, I was getting normal readings. So at that point, I started my magnetic survey. It wasn't long, only a, a day later, that I was taking uh, measurements along Albany Post Road, and there's a large field in front of me, um, and this is out in the middle of country, all right, uh, car- farm country, and and uh, and there there's, you know, the towns are small hamlets embedded within uh, this this farming area, and uh, there was a, a a private house nearby, and I was started to take several readings with the uh, magnetometer, and what I would do is I would take uh, five readings and um, to get an average because the uh, magnetic uh, uh, readings always varied just a little bit. And uh, after uh, taking uh, three, the third reading I took, I got a, a negative, I think it was something like 60 gamma negative anomaly. And that, whereas all the others were typically normal as I had been getting everywhere else. And then I uh, went to take another reading, the f- fourth reading, and as I pushed the button to take the reading, there was this crack, like a, a sound of a rifle going off, and I felt this sting in my chest, and I saw my shirt go in and out where, where it hit, something hit me, and I didn't see any blood. I didn't feel any uh, pain after that sting that hit me. Uh, I took that measurement, and it was something like 800 gammas below normal. And I said, whoa, Hmm. what the heck is this? So then I took another reading to see if I got the same. No, it dropped down to 100, negative 100 gammas. I took another one. It went back to like 10 gammas below normal. Then it went back to normal. So I took a whole series of measurements, and I got this. I pushed the button exactly when that shot went off. And so I had proof that I was shot by a magnetic rail gun type of device that uh, I realized that I, somebody had uh, uh, hit me, and I went, put my equipment back in my truck, went home, and uh, took off my shirt, and there was this bruise on the lower left of my chest uh, right opposite my uh, left kidney, and it was indented and it had a red dot at the center. And I took a picture oh, wow. of it, and that's in the book. And the, um, I, I didn't feel anything after that. In other words, I just saw the bruise gradually healed. And 10 days later, I started passing blood. Oh. Well, I called my doctor, and he said, come right in right now. And I, and I went in, and uh, he took a urine sample, and he said, you have a very bad kidney infection. And he gave me some powerful antibiotics. That cured the infection. But it was clear that something had penetrated my body and ended up damaging my left kidney. And I, when I came home from the doctors that night, I was met at the Harriman uh, interchange and exit in a toll booth. I was met by a craft that was hovering over the toll booth. booth. <laughs> and it, it, all you could see was a white light and a red light behind it. 
And when I went through the toll and onto Route 17, back uh, going west to Middletown where I lived, the craft came right over my truck and paced me all the way home. And as we passed um, Orange County Airport, uh, I was watching this thing. I would speed up to try to get closer to it because it was right off the side of the highway, and it would speed up. And I would slow down, way down to like 30 miles an hour, and it would slow down. And so I realized it was not going to allow me to get close enough to see what it, was, what it looked like up close. And then we came to these air traffic, uh, uh, small uh, private planes flying to and from Orange County Airport across the highway. It rose up above that air traffic, turned on uh, lights that resembled those of the, uh, the, the private planes, navigation lights, proceeded across uh, them, and then uh, turned back its lights to just a single white light and red light and came down uh, over the trees and uh, paced me all the way home. And I ran in when I got home, got a camera, and took a picture of it. And I think that picture is in my book as well, showing it this hovering in the sky. Um, but it was clear that they, 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 whoever was following me or pacing me knew I had been shot and knew I had gone to the uh, doctor's and they, they're apparently concerned about me, you know. And uh, so uh, after that, whenever I went out into the field, the, the ships would come to me and follow me around. And, oh, no uh, so, Yeah, so uh, in some cases they, they followed me, paced me along the highways for more than 70 miles. And uh, uh, that, that became a normal uh, type of activity, you know, uh, anywhere I was driving in New Jersey, New York, uh, in, in, at that time, and uh, getting all of this, uh, you know, attention by these craft, and uh, <clears throat> so I continued my research, continued to go out in the field, continued to, to take pictures of their performances, and that's uh, what resulted in my book. So how's your you're, health now? You're how's a, your health? You're very brave. I mean, I, I don't know many people that after being shot with a ray gun would go back. So, <laughs> applause, much applause. <laughs> Definitely, you. yeah. Woo. But has it has it changed your you know, overall you health? Well, no. It, actually, my health <clears throat> was pretty good during that period of time. Okay. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, it, what was really strange is I I, I felt that uh, uh, I was growing. So I would measure my height uh, against a door frame. And my height actually grew by about two inches during that period of time. Wow. That's a lot. Did it stay at, did it stay at that additional uh, height? No, it, then it, it shrunk back at, with age. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm curious about – I wonder what the purpose is because something else we've seen in the past, the kidneys being attacked. I wonder what the, the issue is with the kidneys. I think it wasn't intentional to hit my kidney. Okay. It, it just happened to be where the it, the kidney was it delayed. landed, huh? <laughs> right, where the uh, the tracking device landed. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and uh, but you know, ever since I went west of the Mississippi River for that job with the National Institute for Discovery Science, I I, I stopped having uh, sightings. And it's only been in this last year that I've started to have sightings again. I had two sightings here in El Paso, so. Um, and this is consistent with all of the activity around the world that is increasing. Uh, but for a period of, let's see, from 2003 until uh, 
2019, that's a 16-year period, I didn't see any, any have any sightings. Now, is that what you were working for Robert Bigelow? Yeah, that that was at NIDS. I only spent uh, four months there before he shut the place down. Oh, and uh, he, he, oh, he hired me, brought me all the way out there, and then decided, no, I don't want to continue with this, and he shuts it down. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and uh, and it, if it hadn't been for me meeting uh, um, the woman that is the woman of my life right now, Sharon, um, uh, she she saved me because when Bigelow let me go, she said, well, why don't you come live with me in El Paso? And I did, and that's how I got down here. I'll pass on. Uh-huh. That was graceful. Well, did you get a chance Lance to see what? Part, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you Pardon? get a chance to see what Bigelow had? And because I hear he has all kinds of alien artifacts in his building. Now, yeah, they didn't show me very much during that four years. In fact, most of those alien artifacts he he's acquired since then. Oh. Um, and yeah, and and. and he, the rumors that he sold the ranch. Yes, he did sold sell uh, Skinwalker Ranch, but then he kept on uh, providing uh, security for the new owners of the ranch, and two of them uh, by the name of Chris. Uh, um, they uh, spent six years uh, at at that at the ranch monitoring all of the paranormal activity. And what is really bizarre is that you know you you know uh, Erica Luke's, don't you? No. No, she's uh, of UFO Classified of K Core Radio out of uh, Las Vegas, and uh, she is fascinated by Skinwalker Ranch to the extent that uh, uh, when she heard about she uh, somebody introduced her to Chris Max. Uh, he was one of the guys who spent six years there at the ranch, documented all of the Skinwalker, etc. Um, they fell in love, and now, now she married him. Oh no, so, kidding! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, this is a small family. Um, I guess. <laughs> and, but uh, that's amazing. Uh, well, yeah, there's that's uh, another well, mystery, Skinwalker, but. Um, again, I let me. Can I just ask you a question again about rocks because this is something you're so expert at. You mentioned Precambrian. There's a reason I'm asking yes. about that too. Uh, what are the the qualities of that? Does that have anything to do with these geomagnetic fields? Because that's a very old rock, also. No. Uh, what I mean, Precambrian is before the Cambrian. Okay. And Cambrian is, is the first period within the Phanerozoic, which is when um, complex multicellular life becomes fossilized. And you can see it very clearly. It's, it's the uh, Phanerozoic means uh, to see life as fossils. And mm-hmm. um, before the Cambrian, there were, there, fossils are very, very rare. Mostly uh, they're algae fossils and they're um, uh, jellyfish fossils. And, and no complex organisms until the Cambrian. They call it the Cambrian explosion about mm-hmm. 550 million years ago. And uh, pre-Cambrian just means that it's before complex life uh, evolved on this planet. And uh, the, but the rocks that I've been studying there in the Walco River Valley are much, much older. Okay? They're billions of years older. And wow. uh, they contain all sorts of exotic elements 
uh, rare earths. And uh, it, there's a, a mine area around Franklin, New Jersey, in the, at the border with New York, um, that was active for decades. And uh, they mined all the way down through this one granitic mass where they're finding all of these exotic minerals. And you can go to, they turn it into a museum, and you can see all the kinds of minerals that they pulled out of it. I mean, it's just like everything in the periodic table, okay? And these granitic masses formed very early in the Earth's history when uh, separation and differentiation of mineral uh, uh, aggregates had not yet occurred. It's like all of the stardust that came together to form our planet was just uh, joined together uh, helter-skelter. And uh, that's why these granitic masses are so rich in unique minerals that are only found in those locations in the valley. That's mm. fascinating to me. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's probably why the, the alien probes uh, landed on those islands, and they were extracting these minerals, these elements. Oh, uh, okay. They, so they were the early mining probes uh, because at the time they landed about 400 to 420 million years ago, only the simplest of, of <clears throat> marine life existed. Uh, fish had, had only just started to, to evolve at that point, but you had trilobites. Uh, you had uh, 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 cephalopod type of, of shells. Uh, and uh, preserved in, in in the rocks of that time period, and uh, but nothing much more complex. You you didn't have any plant plants. Uh, you might have had some early seaweed types of plants, uh, but you didn't have any really complex life till about uh, uh, the uh, you know ten million years later, when things really started taking off in the. Uh, um, the the Phanerozoic and the uh, Paleozoic, so we uh, have a lot of stuff uh, there in, in, in happening at that particular time in Earth's history, from a mineral standpoint. Um, and you can go and you you can look at the black shales that uh, would contain organic material. And what is fascinating is that those black shales in the valley are mostly radioactive. And people don't realize this. They're, and fortunately, because of uh, weathering, when those shales are exposed, uh, they weather and the, uh, the uh, radioactive elements are washed away. So people can build their homes on it. But you, you've heard of radi- radon and things like that. Yeah. yeah. These, these rocks are full of that, those types of radioactive elements. And, uh, you know, people, you know, if you don't know about it, then it's not going to hurt you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So we're, we're going to take a very short commercial break and come back and, and go ahead with this incredible conversation with our guest tonight, Bruce Cornett. He is the author of an incredible book. We highly recommend it to our audience, Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. Now stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology, Astridian. 
combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide. The Practical Psychic for Catching Your Tomorrows Today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. 
to gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles Library of Consciousness Alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, PK, Patricia Kirkman, and George Lugo, and our incredible guest tonight. We're enjoying this so much, and we're learning a lot from Dr. Bruce Cornett with his new book, Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. Oh, my goodness, Bruce, we could just talk to you all night. You have so much to offer <laughs> to this whole well, subject. The public would like to hear, public would like to hear this, uh, more about this information and see many of the movies and videos. Uh, I'm giving uh, two talks at the uh, uh, UFO Mega Conference in Laughlin, Nevada, uh, this oh. next week. It's starting on the Saturday the 15th and going to the uh, Sunday the 23rd of February. And there are over 36 speakers uh, going to be there for that conference. And I'm going to be giving a talk on the uh, unconventional aerial phenomena on uh, Monday, the 17th of February, at, um, in the afternoon. And then on uh, Thursday, uh, the 20th of uh, February, I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, my personal contact with uh, the spiritual and ET a uh, group that has uh, been responsible for uh, much of what has happened to me in my life. Oh, how oh, wonderful. terrific. Yeah. That is great. Now, do you have a website where people can visit you and, and look at where you're going to be next? Uh, no, I don't have one of those yet. That's a pretty good idea. I mean, something that I probably should have uh, said because I'm only now just getting into the area of, of speaking. And um, I can uh, send you a link to the uh, conference, and you can put it on your website. Yeah, we'll oh, be happy to. You know, probably the best place is on our Facebook page because that's where we have so mm-hmm. many people that are following us. So uh, we'd be happy to. And Thank you. That's great. Yes, that's great. Let's talk about portals a little bit because you have experience with that as well, and you're certainly – well-informed on the geomagnetic anomalies that are also connected to the portals. What's going on there? We've heard a lot of stories, Bruce, about portals, and some people have gone into the forest, and all of a sudden the forest goes dead quiet. They know that something is about to happen that's supernatural, and they also talk about uh, that the magnetic field just seems to collapse at that time. So what do you know about all of these things? Well, interestingly enough, when I was at NIDS, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Colm Kelleher t- talked about portals quite a bit, uh, That I- various pieces of information about them, especially at Skinwalker Ranch. And then uh, Sharon, um, she is a Bigfoot expert, and uh, she has uh, uh, studied the presence of Bigfoot here in uh, El Paso area in the desert, the desert apes, she call them, calls them. And um, I've heard many a story of, of people seeing uh, Bigfoot just come out of nowhere and then walk for a distance and then disappear, go into another portal. 
and and the uh, we've gone up recently to the uh, uh, Apache Mescalero Reservation. We have friends there uh, that uh, tell us about uh, all of the uh, the paranormal and Bigfoot activity that occurs uh, in in that reservation, and there's quite a bit. Um, and portals are a major component of it. So one has to wonder um, just how interdimensional um, uh, these creatures are that come through. Back in the, in the late 90s, I became associated with several people who were studying the uh, Wanaki or Wanaku portal uh, that exists uh, at, below the dam there in New Jersey. And uh, Brian Williams had a, uh, a special technique uh, that he was very psychic and could sense when something was coming through the portal. And he had a digital camera with a flash on it. And he would turn and take a picture in the, in the black of night and the flash would illuminate whatever creature was that was coming out of the portal. And sometimes he even caught pictures of the portal opening up and the oh creature my. coming out. And uh, lots of orbs <laughs> were associated with them, etc. And he has a YouTube uh, presentation, of, of the, uh, and, and you can go to his, just Google his name, Sargel18, S-A-R-G-E-L-18, and you can find him on YouTube. And uh, he talks about all, shows all the pictures of these creatures that come through that that portal that he studied. And um, uh, I've heard stories here uh, in in El Paso <clears throat> where um, uh, people and friends and and have, have actually run in and into uh, Bigfoot and seen Bigfoot and been uh, chased by Bigfoot. So um, we even had a recent. Uh, uh, attack by Bigfoot uh, back in in, in uh, late July of, of this last year uh, down east of Horizon where this um, young woman and her family were out sky watching showing their son the stars at night and uh, and Juliana had to take a uh, uh, had to go into the bushes and relieve herself and when she went in there she was attacked by a, and chased by a Bigfoot, and and oh, she yeah. got all scratched up in the in the bushes with the thorns, the mesquite bushes, and uh, she was uh, screaming and yelling. And her husband was out on the road with her son, and and, and tried to uh, find out what the heck was going on. And uh, this is all being written up by uh, Sharon in her in her book that she's writing a three volume book on Bigfoot, uh, the different ideas and <clears throat> concepts of Bigfoot around the world. So. Um, uh, I, I so they get, use I'm portals, and we've heard, we've heard this before, that they are experts at using portals. It's, a, it's an easy entrance and a quick exit if they need it. And yeah. also, we've heard from some people that say, oh, they're just loving and friendly, and then we've heard, no, that's not the case, you know, like the story you just told where somebody was chased. And, and, I mean, and they, 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 whatever was chasing her was tall, a dark hairy and 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 touched her on her back and it, it it bruised her on her back and it became infected and there was ah, a smell of sulfur as well and oh, she saw no. a creature uh, it may be the same creature or another creature come up out of the ground through a portal in the ground so oh my um, God. this was 
the moon was bright, so she could see enough to, to see the stuff happening. And um, so that's a recent encounter here in, in this region of uh, Texas. Um, Anyway, uh, one of the most fascinating stories, and, and this is going to be told in, um, in, in Sharon's book, um, it's uh, about a, a guy by the name of Larry, and I first heard the story when we were the, at the uh, Mescalero Apache Reservation um, uh, interviewing people about stories. This one uh, researcher, he said he was on a mountain ridge walking along, and uh, all of a sudden, everything became quiet, just like you said. Mm-hmm. He continued to walk, and everything started to become dark, really dark. And, and, and it wasn't nighttime. Uh, and uh, he, he continued to take, this was, it only took three steps uh, before he was in another world. And he said it was nighttime in this world, it was a jungle with all types of uh, large plants around it. And as soon as he had passed through this portal, uh, a hand came down and, and touched him on his right shoulder. And he could see that it had fingernails, etc. on it. It was hairy. And uh, he heard a voice. It was interesting because it was uh, that whatever this uh, creature was, it spoke to him in English and said, gotcha. Oh, at that point, at that point, he, he he was frightened and immediately backed up. And it was only about three or four steps that they had to back up, and he was back in in, in our world again. Oh. So he had uh, he didn't see this portal coming. He couldn't see it ahead of him. It, it just the area became quiet. The uh, everything became dark. Then suddenly he found himself in a jungle. Now, I can't imagine yeah. how terrifying that would be. I mean, that is really scary. Yeah, that is, is incredibly scary. And, and there are a lot of people who go missing around the yes. world in the country. Yes, uh, there and are. You have to wonder, have they become uh, the food of, of, of creatures on the other side? I think that's a valid question, and there are certainly some young children that have gone missing, and they were out either picking huckleberries with their their family and all of a sudden they're just gone or they are playing games with other kids like hide and seek and all of a sudden you know the, all the kids come back but one and yeah you have to wonder i mean again all these people saying bigfoot's so gentle and kind well maybe not maybe there are some that do use us as part mm-hmm. of their food chain well you know i've always wondered why uh, there is n- never a connection a connecting of the dots between cattle mutilations and ET drinking blood. Ooh, that's an interesting that one. And, yeah, and and there are people abductees who have come back and said, yeah, there are vats of blood in, aboard the ships, and the ETs tell them that that's their food. <gasps> oh wow! So, so and and there have been desanguinated humans found mutilated too. So yes. Was, you know, one has to be aware of, of things, crazy things like this that, that may be going on, but we have no control yet over them. And, of course, our government doesn't want to uh, try to explain something that they can't. Yeah, they don't and, understand it themselves. Right. And they would rather have us stay dumb and ignorant 
uh, than than to uh, become uh, totally frightened by uh, you know uh, uh, monster and spook stories. Yes. Yes. Wow. Gosh. Well, this is going to keep me up at night. <laughs> thinking the same thing. I was going to take out the garbage. Forget it now. So. <laughs> I know, really. Might be the garbage. Yeah. Oh my goodness me! That I mean, this uh, vampire aliens—that's quite the concept, and I don't doubt it. You know, I really don't, because you're right. Nobody has drawn that connection, or not enough people have drawn the connection between cattle mutilations and that, because all the blood is taken out of the cattle bodies, right? Right. You know, I find it uh, interesting, like where where you live in the desert. There, you can see these. Bigfoot, you know, coming out of a portal and going back in right in front of you, you know, instead of being in the woods where you can't see very well and, and they kind of come and go. And I noticed that when people chase down these Bigfoot, um, the, the, they'll chase it and chase it, and then all of a sudden the tracks just end. And there's mm-hmm. nothing going on. Away. Yeah. So it's it's got to be a portal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and, and the, the frightening part is that they have the capability of opening the portal and closing it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's or I mean I I don't think it's that they just have the the sight to be able to see the portal if it it's there already. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's something that they can make happen. So it's right. like a targeted portal. Yes. Uh, That's even and, scarier. And, and that area in Pine Bush were uh, on the uh, 29th of April, 1993. And this is in my book. Um, the sightings uh, camera crew came out to do a story on Ellen Crystal and me and her friends at the uh, Dogleg Bend in West Searsville Road. And uh, Ellen and I had come up, uh, come out the night before, since this was all being arranged <clears throat> through her. She wanted to see what was going going to happen if there was any activity out there for the next night when the camera crew would be there. And uh, we had all sorts of stuff that happened on the night before. I mean, really incredible stuff. And uh, one of the things that did happen was uh, they gave me on my photographic canvas a a holographic image uh, that the History Channel, they uh, took it and, and... and made a show out of it called UFO Vortexes. And they said that this looks like a portal opening up and then closing as the craft light were climbing up into the sky. And uh, uh, if you go just Google uh, Dr. Bruce Cornett on on the uh, Internet, and you're going to come up with my uh, Monmouth Internet webpage. And if you go there, you're going to see a picture of this uh, incredible image. Um, And... I think it's more than just a portal. But uh, on the next night, um, when the camera crew was there, uh, we had seven people there with with multiple cameras running, professional uh, photographers and and video uh, graphers. And we we had a performance of six craft come before the cameras and put on show. I mean, it was like uh, close encounters of the third kind at the, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in that show of how they they showed up on the, the, the devil's uh, tower, and uh, they they came and produ- pro- uh, put on this incredible show, 
and then apparently the government shut them down, so they only could take one image from one of the videos and show it on the TV, TV program. It was too graphic. It, oh. and yet the whole the whole forest underneath opened up with lights and and buildings and things that were in the forest that weren't really there in our world, but they showed through that oh. night. Oh wow! Oh Wouldn't my God! Like like the veil disappears, and like a giant portal opened up, and uh, so. How, and how what was that? Tell us that. more. Of, tell us more about that, Bruce. So, what what are we thinking this is? So you're seeing all these buildings, these tall white. But what is that? Well, we flew over the area. I had, uh, Ellen Crystal showed me this one location on the Dogleg Bend, which is on the on the West Yeso Road, and to the east was this large field, farm field, part of the Wild Farm, appropriate name. And then there was another tree road in the distance, and then more farm fields beyond that at a a, uh, dairy farm. Um, And there was, I photographed and documented all these craft coming up out of the ground, and and, in other words, in photographic time exposures. And then I superimposed them on a daytime image of what was there, and in my talk I'm going to be showing this. Uh, And then finally we flew over it, in a helicopter, uh, when the Japanese came over, wanted to do a show on Ellen and me, and uh, we were flying over the the valley, and we flew over this area where all of this activity was occurring, and there was this Indian mound situated right there where the activity was concentrated, and right to the west of it was this large permanent crop circle. That uh, that I didn't know what this represented until I read uh, Dr. Uh, Susan Martinez's book, uh, The Lost History of the Little People, in which she uh, documents all of the uh, mounds uh, around the country and around the world. And, and she says one of the typical mounds that uh, the, the Na- First Nation Native Americans built uh, was associated with a sweat lodge. And the sweat lodge was a large round circle with a dome. Uh, structure on it where they uh, brought the uh, uh, they built a fire on top of a mound uh, that uh, heated up stones and carried them into the uh, sweat lodge and threw water on them to create steam to create the sweat conditions the sauna conditions there and what we saw in the helicopter was an ancient sweat lodge with the unke the part where the fire is right at the center of where the um, uh, all of the UFOs come out of the ground, and oh so goodness. it became clear that the Native Americans, the Lenape Indians that lived in the valley thousands of years ago, were worshiping the lights that were coming out of the ground. They thought they were spirit lights, right? Yeah. They didn't know what they were, and so that they wanted to commune with the spirit lights, and <clears throat> amazingly. Uh, I took one picture from the dog-like bend uh, of a, of a uh, golden light, plasma lights, moving ac- over the top of the, uh, the hot spot, and all of a sudden there was this flash coming up out of the mound, that Indian mound, and when I got the picture back, it was in the shape of a golden pyramid with light coming up through the middle, and pyramid means pyramid, fire in the middle. <clears throat> so they were telling me in no uncertain terms, 
that this is the entrance to their underground base. This is where they lived and have oh lived for thousands of years. So this, this uh, we so are the incredible. So so those white buildings that all of a sudden appeared, that was another dimension. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a parallel dimension that became visible at that particular point. Oh my. So, so much going you know, on in so that much, river valley. Right. We have so much yet to learn, Pat. So much. We are so ignorant. And it's all because of uh, the science requires that we have something that we can replicate, duplicate, test, and et cetera. And, and we don't have the instrumentation yet. Uh, uh, those who have developed various types of uh, electromagnetic devices to detect of, uh, you know, ghost voices and images and things like that. We're getting close to it that we're starting to see this invisible world through instrumentation. That is very exciting to me because it, it'll prove that it'll we are not it. alone. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I, I do want to uh, bring up uh, with, because of this discussion of a portal is, is my late wife, Bonnie. And I sent you material about one of my talks about yes. uh, how uh, I was on a, on a uh, church bus headed back from a Baptist retreat in, on the 23rd of March, 1981. And uh, this male voice started talking to me. And I was sitting alone, and I looked to see who was talking to me, and nobody was talking to me. And this voice said, are you ready to serve God? And do whatever he asks you to do. This is the first time I'd ever been, uh, uh, any discarnate voice had communicated with me. I thought about it for a while. I was divorced. And I said, yes. And then the voice said, there is somebody who needs help. If I bring her to you, will you help her? And she said, and the voice said, and I said, yes. When will I meet her? And the voice said, before the year is out. Well, I met her on the 15th of December, 1983. Uh, she moved. She and her son moved into my house, brand new house, on the 12th of January, 1984. And she, I lived with her for exactly seven years, and she died on the 12th of January, 1991. Oh, nice. And then at her grave, uh, my mother and I were at her grave, and she appeared in spirit over, over her grave. And then a, beam, a second sun appeared in an overhead cloud, sent down a golden beam of light that captured a spirit. We saw it ascend in that beam of light into that second sun. It was 8.30 in the morning. The true sun had barely cleared the trees to the east. And then that the light in the cloud went out. It wasn't until much later when I had a software, computer software, that I could take images off that video and enhance them that I found a huge circular, domed, white uh, mothership embedded in that cloud. Oh, my. And, and my, my um, uh, the spirit of my late wife came back, me, it came back to me and it communicated with me and told me who she was and that uh, she was actually had, had incarnated as Bonnie to fulfill biblical scripture and uh, hmm. that uh, I had uh, uh, helped her fulfill that uh, during the seven years we were together, and there we oh, get incredible. with uh, UK, uh, you know, numbers and and, and uh, 
the number seven again. So, seven. But she had told me right before she died, we watched the movie always. And are you familiar with that movie with uh, Richard Dreyfus? Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. and about you know who died in a plane crash and and, and came back to help his girlfriend uh, get another boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And uh, well, she said that's really happens. And I didn't catch it at the time, uh, you know. But uh, about the the she died in nineteen uh, in January nineteen ninety one, and then in uh, October of nineteen ninety one, I was picking up mail uh, from the mailbox at the condos where I lived in Middletown, where we had lived together, and I was walking back to my condo. On a, uh, in broad daylight and, and, and next to a parking lot and uh, the buildings. And this male voice said, are you ready to meet the next woman in your life? And I looked around. There was nobody around me. Again, I was being spoken to by a discarnate male voice. And I thought for a moment, and I realized what was going on, and I said, yes. <laughs> then this voice said, will you accept the woman we have in mind for you and it was we have in mind for you and I thought that was rather um, but this time I didn't want another blind date uh, so <laughs> I I wanted to see what she looked like before I said yes <laughs> and standing there alone suddenly this portal opens up right in front of me I mean it was about three to four feet in diameter with a brown uh, ribbon of light of quivering light and I was staring into another dimension, parallel dimension. Uh, it was an all-white modern kitchen. <clears throat> everything in the kitchen, the, the appliances, the floors, the ceilings, the tables, the chair, everything was white. And there was this woman dressed in black sitting at the table. And uh, I immediately thought, well, she's too far away to see. Suddenly I felt my spirit being pulled out of my body. It passed through the portal, and I was hovering over her, her head. And I, as soon as I thought that I had seen enough, I felt my spirit being sucked back into my body, and I saw the portal close. Now, that was on a Friday night or uh, evening. On Monday, I walk, uh, go back to work, and I'm walking down the hall to my office, and a colleague comes out of her office, Connie Sanchetta, and she sees me and says, Oh, Bruce, so glad I caught you. Can I ask you a personal question? And I said, Sure, Connie. She said, are you dating anybody? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, I uh, over the weekend I talked to an old uh, college friend uh, and I realized we were bringing each other up to date on, on our lives. And I realized that you, the two of you have a lot in common. And uh, can I be matchmaker? Can I bring you together? To make a long story short, uh, I, uh, I, I met her. And she was the woman I saw sitting at that table in that kitchen. And I, when I told her my story, she said, well, that's interesting because on that same time, you're being asked if uh, uh, you, would be, uh, you would accept the woman they have in mind for you. I was being asked the same thing. Oh, are you ready to accept the, you know, will you accept the man we have in mind for you? And I said, yes. She said, so I ended up marrying Pat. And uh, so we spent 14 years What is years this, together. an ET matchmaking service? You know how many people would want this? <laughs> yes. 
That's amazing. Yep. What a beautiful story. Oh, my goodness. What an adventure and a half. It's just incredible. And, again, all all of this information that you've so meticulously documented and shared can be found in your book. And, again, the name of it is Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. Now, Bruce, let me ask you, were you ever able to identify which races of ETs were flying around the skies above those valleys? Yeah, I have a pretty good idea. Uh, because in, on the 23rd of October, 1994, I was introduced to two children I didn't know I had. And mm. this was in a uh, projected uh, uh, hologram over my bed in the morning when I got up to go to the, the bathroom. I was moving around my bed in the dark with only uh, a digital clock as light guiding me around the bed. My wife, Pat, was sleeping underneath all of this when it was happening, and um, I, I stopped and saw all of these, this light flickering over the bed, and I began uh, to concentrate on it, wondering why, where is this light coming from, and it, it morphed into... Uh, the image of three astronauts floating in space, two in, de- in, in NASA-type decompression suits, but without any labels on them, and uh, an alien in a different type of decompression suit. And they were, and I was told telepathically to study the two humans. One was a, a, a woman, and one was a man, and the man had a beard on, and I felt that they were related to me. And uh, when the vision was over, I woke my wife and told her uh, what had happened. And she said, I woke her in the middle of a dream of me meeting my children. And oh, I, nice. said, I said, well, they didn't tell me the names. And she said, in the dream, their names were Nora and Kyle. Turns out they were Bonnie and my children that were uh, conceived and born before Bonnie and I ever met. Now, how does that happen? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and, and Bonnie told me how at age 17 she was engaged to uh, marry her uh, high school sweetheart. He wanted to marry a virgin. He was very jealous, and suddenly uh, she s- started developing, uh, about a year before they got married, all of her all of uh, the symptoms of pregnancy. She had never known a man. She was only 17. And uh, about four months later, she woke up. Her belly was flat, blood between her legs. Uh, her hymen broken, but no uh, afterbirth or, or fetus on the bed sheets. <clears throat> that was the, the date of birth of those two children. And they were they finished their development in, a, in, a, in an alien incubator. Um, and then I was got even a bigger shock. When, uh, I, after I uh, met them and realized who they were, um, I had this thought that uh, Nora had gone to Princeton University. Why I thought that was for several reasons, but I told Pat I'm going to uh, drive across the state to Princeton and look through your yearbooks. Well, I spent all day looking through them, trying to find a picture of the woman I saw in that spacesuit. And suddenly when I got to 1992, I was flipping the pages, and there her picture was. Oh, my, oh goodness. my God. But her name was not Nora. It was Tamara. And her birth date was 33 days earlier from that of Honora. 
So I made a whole bunch of copies of, of, uh, of, of pictures of, of women and, and uh, because Pat coming home on the bus the following uh, uh, Monday after this had happened said that uh, it would, she started thinking I was going crazy and uh, because she hadn't seen this, this vision over the bed. And she saw this reflection of this beautiful woman in the window. She looked around uh, in the bus to see who was looking at her. Nobody was looking at her. And then the, the image of Honora said, Hi, Pat, telepathically. I'm Honora. I'm your husband's daughter. He's not going crazy. <laughs> she got home. She came running in and, and, and hugged me and said, I, I met Honora. I met Honora. You're not going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Uh, oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, you are so well cared for by these ETs. It's just amazing to me. They've had this long-term relationship with you. And yes. it's, it's so friendly and and kind for the most part, other than the ray gun uh, episode. <laughs> but uh-huh. really, you've had pretty great adventures, and there must be a reason for that. There must be a reason why you wrote this book. So yes. again, I want yes. to encourage people to buy that's it. That's what it's I'm going this. to be talking about, Pat. That's what I'm going to be talking about at the conference. It's the it's it, keep in mind. That what I discovered, and it's taken me a long time to figure this out. It wasn't until I read chapter 12 of the book of Revelation that I realized that that chapter describes Bonnie's life perfectly, completely. She is the woman who bore the male child. Mm-hmm. And this gets into a very important uh, religious part of, of my talk. That, uh, And I'm going to be telling the audience, I said, it's a highly probable that all those who have wanted uh, Jesus to return, he's already returned. He's walking among us. And he has yet just to tell us uh, officially who he is. And this is going to uh, really change everything uh, when this moment happens. He recently turned 52 years old. And so he's had a lot of time to get to know uh, us on earth uh, by living among us. Where do you and think he is? Who is he? Where? Where is he right now? Well, I mean, I was paced by two ships uh, right before this holographic image came over my bed. About 12 days earlier, I had gone down to Atlantic City to give a a show on a public television uh, show on my work, my UFO work. And when I was driving back home along the coast on the Garden State Parkway, Two ships met me on either side. This was night time, and they they telepathically talked to me. I didn't know who they were. A male was uh, uh, piloting the ship on the right, and a female was piloting the ship on the left. Uh, the one on the right followed me all the way back to Red Bank, and <clears throat> then 12 days days later, I meet them, floating in space in, in space in, in, in decompression suits, and I realized that they were the pilots. And that's the oh, reason why okay. all of this stuff has been happening in Pine Bush. Why I had all of this, this, so uh, uh, these, these opportunities to take photographs of, of these. And and one of the things that um, the spirit of my late wife told me after she died, she came back to me and said uh, I, uh, that uh, she told me her spiritual name, and she told me who she had been to in our ancient uh, civilizations. And that was really scary because she said she is behind 
all of the scripture and all of our religions. Hmm. She and her group. And uh, so, what happened? So you guys are very important people in in the greater design of all of this. And again, certainly your your book is important. Your your talks are important. So we'll we will post that link for you on our Facebook page so that people can keep track of where you're going to be and what you're going to be speaking about, because all this is important. We would love to have Sharon on the show talking more about Bigfoot. So, Oh, she would love to be on there, too. Oh, we would love to have her. It's one of our, our favorite topics also. And let's see, what else was I going to ask you about? There's just, I mean, my head is spinning, Bruce. My head is spinning. <laughs> well, we, we are really at in, in close to the end of the uh, Hebrew six days, you know, the 6,000 years. Uh, they've been counting it down, and we're within less than 100 years, probably only maybe 30 years from the time that all of this is going to go down. You know, that wow. the, the experiment is going to be over, and and a lot of changes are going to take place in this world. So well, uh, exciting. If, the, if the scripture is correct that, you know, we're going to, uh, it's not going to be, uh, you know, destruction of the earth and all of that. It's going to be, uh, you know, a, a thousand years apiece. Um, so uh, we'll hopefully that's what's going to happen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We, we will take it. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for one of the most exciting evenings on this show I think we've all ever had. Right, guys? Oh, definitely. Right. Yep. Just yep. Well, I'm giving a talk, and I'm, I've already written the book uh, that it's going to get published this year. On Bonnie and and her spiritual name is Kafra, capital K, small A, capital R, small A, which means uh, the spirit of goddess. Oh. And she was worshipped by Isis and Memphis in, in Israel, and she told me that she was Nim Kursag of the Sumerians of the Anunnaki. She was wow. the uh, it's the, literally the the mother of humanity. So she has oh. a lot of invested interest in in humans. And, uh, so well, thank you again. Think, yeah. We're running out of time, Bruce, unfortunately, and we're going to have to say good night to our audience and good night to you, and thank you again for everything. We'll be back next week, everybody, with another great show. So be sure to thank check our Facebook page tomorrow, and Bruce, thanks so much. Thank you, PK. Okay. Thank, thank you, Bruce. George. And everybody, good night. We'll thank you for everything. Week. It was a wonderful show. We'll see you on the next Excellent. the next show, and we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Don't forget that. So, good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.